Bienvenidos and welcome to the Voces Podcast. My name is Ana Lucia Lopez Reboredo, and I am your host. Today's guest is Bianca Gonzalez Lesser. Bianca has spent the last decade centering equity, diversity, and anti racist praxis into their life. A graduate of the University of Puerto Rico and Mississippi State University, Bianca went on to receive their PhD from the University of Connecticut. After a long career in academia, Bianca pivoted their work to the Jewish nonprofit sector, where they now serve as the Associate Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice at Hillel International. Bianca hails from La Isla del Encanto, where they were born and raised in San Juan. A proud, queer, Puerto Rican Jew of color, Bianca is passionate about building spaces for people at the margins. They currently live in Connecticut with their wife, Emma, and three-year-old twins. Welcome, Bianca. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. I just read a really impressive bio of yours that included a lot of your professional background. And I'd love to hear more from you with regards to what it is that you focus on as a sociologist and also, of course, how that relates to who you are as a person. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for inviting me. It's actually my honor. A lot of the work that I've done is informed very much by my own background and where I come from and and the communities that I've been involved in. During my PhD, I focused most of my time developing as a critical race theorist and and within that understanding the the role of Latinidad in that big question of critical race theory and white supremacy and all these systems of oppression. And I was particularly called to do work within my own community. So I spent a good amount of time researching Puerto Rican racial identity and the processes and the ways in which it plays out depending on context, depending on generation, depending on literal literal region of the country. It looks different in every like enclave that you visit. A lot of my work also has looked at how Latinos understand themselves to each other. So how do Mexicans understand Puerto Ricans and Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, and how those intersect, like the connections between these communities that we often lump into this one category, Latino, in the U.S., but we come from very different countries and different experiences, different histories. All of my work has really been informed by, I think, growing up in Puerto Rico and seeing what it experiencing, not only seeing what it means to be a colonial citizen and what a colonial subject and what it means to be part of the oldest colony in the world. So I've always been a kid paying attention to power. And I think that's kind of something that you develop as you live in, in situations that are not the most equitable situations. And my time at the University of Puerto Rico, where I went for my undergrad, really shaped the, my worldview. I see myself like as a baby activist when I think of myself back when I was at college. A lot of my, my political sense was cultivated in the University of Puerto Rico, which is very different from American universities. It, it has a more Latin American feel where there's a lot of activism around the student body. That inspired 
to understand power and understand the ways in which people move through the world and the inequalities that they face. From there, I decided I knew that I had to leave Puerto Rico because I wanted to get a PhD and there's no PhD programs on the island. So I had to come to the U.S. where I first went to the deep south. So I went to Mississippi for two years. And that is where I had my racial education very quickly. And then it, and it was then where I started to learn about critical race theory and the realities of um, white supremacy and racism in the U.S. Of course, there's racism in Puerto Rico. It just looks different and feels different than the ways in which racism has um, evolved here in the U.S. And as someone that's white passing in the U.S. and very much white in Puerto Rico, I also had a privilege of navigating the world without really having to think about it. From there, I decided to come to Connecticut. It was another racial education of what we often think is the Northeast, the liberal Northeast racism doesn't supposedly exist here. That's what people say. It's not true. And I, then I started working with communities of color in Hartford and, and studying with them. And the ways in which all these communities of color, particularly in Hartford, we we're talking about the Puerto Rican community. There's a small Peruvian community and particularly Jamaican community are often vying for the same resources. And often what's not thought of in that experience is the role of white supremacy and the long history of racism rooted back in colonial Connecticut. And now I'm, I'm here. I left academia and I'm doing more hands-on work and excited to continue this, this journey because I see this journey, one that I decide to make every, every morning, every day, every moment, every moment of my life is a choice to walk this journey. And I deeply understand our liberation is deeply tied to everyone else's liberation. And that's what wakes me up in the morning to keep going to work and trying to do my best in the world. Amen to that, Dr. Bianca. Amen to that. I think that last piece where you talked about every day, this being a conscious decision you make to be critical, to be anti-racist. I mean, that's what it takes. It's a daily commitment. It's a moment-to-moment commitment. And I think that that's something that we sometimes forget as part of the process and part of our larger commitment to the work. In your introduction, you shared a lot about Puerto Rico and the impact it's had on you and who you are as a person, and of course, in your professional and academic career. And I'm curious if you could share with us a little bit more about what it was like for you to grow up in Puerto Rico. Many people here may have never been to Puerto Rico or even realize that it is, in fact, a territory, a colony of the United States. And I'd love to get some insight from you as someone who spent the majority of their life living on the island. My experience living in Puerto Rico growing up in the 90s is potentially better than what kids growing up in Puerto Rico right now are seeing. And even in the 90s, there were things that were very difficult to wrestle with and grapple that are a lot of my friends that are also academics that are in the field of psychology argue are traumatic experiences of being living in a colony And that has only been aggravated as time has gone by. Something that like, as as I realize, as I live in the U.S. more and more time and I spend more time here, 
and I spend more time with people that uh, were born and raised here. Simple things like something that's very salient right now is because we almost had a hurricane last weekend in Connecticut. And I always get these questions of like, oh, was it so bad, the hurricane? I'm like, well, actually, like I'm from Puerto Rico and I've seen a, what a hurricane can do. And just like this mindset of, of what I often tell people that I'm in relationship with, a lot of us in Puerto Rico grow up with a deficit mindset. Of uh, There's this really great song by um, Fiel a la Vega with this, this like, rock group from Puerto Rico that thinks about independence and things like that. And the song at the end says, Vivir para sobrevivir, live to survive. If I had to say what it is to be living and growing up in Puerto Rico, it's literally that, living to survive. You don't know, sometimes the electricity goes out and it's sometimes daily. Sometimes your water is not of drinking quality. Most nights you wake up to hearing shots and things like that. I want to caution people from assuming that that there means that people are bad in Puerto Rico. It's the symptom of the lack of economic mobility, access, and how people have had to go into um, the drug market to be able to literally survive. And because of the position of where Puerto Rico sits in, in geographically, it's also an access point to the U.S. in terms of um, drug distribution. So I grew up in that generation where I was really seeing drug crime come up, a lot of poverty. Something that I, I always like to tell people is 50% of Puerto Ricans live under the poverty line. Another thing, which I think we're going to segue in a little bit, is Puerto Rico is an extremely conservative country. It, there's a lot of machismo. So as someone that grew up identifying as a woman, and understanding like what's your role in the family and what's your role in society that's very real and very present and the ways in which like men would often speak about women and how we perceive ourselves and where where we fit into into the the Puerto Rican project and for me this has been very much a journey in Puerto Rico when I, in the 90s it was the 90s i never heard about anyone being gay like what's that I didn't see that I didn't know anyone that was trans we don't talk about it we just kind of like hide it under the rug esos secretos de la familia family secrets that no one talks about but yeah indeed I do have family members that are queer and now in my 30s people finally have verbalized those things Thank you so much for for sharing your your story and for bringing in so much personal perspective as to what life is like on the island. I'd love for us to, to talk a little bit more about your experience as someone who's queer, who came out on the island, and who's had to navigate so much of their life holding these two identities that are so dear to you, both the queer identity and the Puerto Rican identity. At times, based on who you're talking to, uh, seemingly at ends, those two identities at ends with one another. I know for you, they're not. I know those two things beautifully complement one another. You can share with us what your experience has been like in making sense of who you are and where it is that you come from while now living in the United States and having this just fervent, continued love for the place where you grew up. 
you know, my, my journey first, like started with me coming out as, as gay, as someone that felt attraction towards the people of my same sex at that moment. And then I also had my gender journey and I've always been on my gender journey when I think about my life in the grand scheme of things, but I didn't have the language to put like a name to it until somewhat recently until I came to the U.S. And, and I, went, I went to Catholic school all throughout. And I remember very clearly this one day in religion class when they were going to change the civil code of Puerto Rico and they wanted to explicitly ban same-sex couples from adopting. So this might have, that, this was like 2007. So it's been, been a, a while. And I remember that in the class, the teacher said that we have to debate the pros and cons of this. And it ended up being that both sides were in opposition of gay people, queer people adopting because it was going to like mess up the kids. And I remember, I think this was like my first like activist moment. I took my chair and I put it in the middle of the room and I was like, what, what is this? Research says that children of same-sex couples fare the same or even better than children of straight couples. So what, what are we talking about? Like we're making them gay or things like that. So it was very clear to me that being gay was not okay in Puerto Rico. I carry a lot of pain with me about coming out in Puerto Rico and the process of coming out and like living my truth. And it, I, and if we're being totally honest, I, I haven't felt like I could be my whole self until fairly recently. There's a lot of loss for me tied to like living my full self and not being able to do that in my country. So like, I, I remember very clearly when I got engaged to my now wife, we were talking about like, where, where should we get married? Connecticut was the second state in, in the, in the U S to legalize same sex marriage. So we were living here and we knew that we had the option to like get married here, but I always wanted to get married in my country and that was like my 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 dream was to live in my country, get married in my country, and have like those special moments of your life at home. And that was simply not an option, not an option for me. And I, I still like mourn the loss of of all of these things that I could have had at home that I can't have. And there's people that are having them right now. And then I think of like the multiple levels and the nuances of my, all the identities that I hold together. And there's just so much there that every time I think maybe we should go to Puerto Rico, maybe we should move to Puerto Rico. Let's try this. And then I think about what my life would actually look like. It would be vivir para sobrevivir, living to survive in different ways. You have the colonial reality then you have the, the queer reality then you have the jewish reality then you have the reality that not only am i gay i'm non-binary which is a whole like other like way of moving through the world that i'm now navigating as someone very masculine looking but not fully masculine for sensing so people still kind of don't know how to like gender me 
And that's kind of like the point, which is <laughs> because I, I am neither a man nor a woman, a combination. But it's also how do you n- literally navigate that of like simple things as going into the bathroom? I don't think I've ever seen a gender neutral bathroom in Puerto Rico. How do I navigate being non-binary in an island where they kill trans people? And I, I recently went to Puerto Rico, I think in May, for the wedding of one of my close friends from high school. And this was a, a conversation that my wife and I had before I got on the plane. Don't be alone. Don't go alone places. And every time I would go out into the bathroom, just fear. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you for that insight. And I think it's important to note that for most of us, we don't think twice about which bathroom we're going to go to. And the strain, like the emotional, mental strain of having to go to the bathroom and have to also think, is it safe for me to go because of X, Y, and Z? So I really appreciate you bringing in that that perspective. And and this leads me to just wonder, because you've been living in the United States now for so long, we've got a wide range of opinions when it comes to queer equity and beyond marriage, of course. And I'm just so curious, like, what has this experience taught you? Do you ever wonder, you know, what it could have been like being somewhere else? Would it have changed your story? I, I don't, I wouldn't change my story. I wouldn't change my, my coming out, even though it was like somewhat traumatic because I, it was, it was a very complicated story. Not gonna go and I have friends that have been homeless because they came out and they got kicked out. So really difficult things that like I've seen, I've experienced personally, and I see my friends experience in Puerto Rico. But at the same time, that has given me a deeper love for people at the margins, a deep respect and appreciation for queer people, particularly for queer people of color. When I get asked, like, who are your people? I, I often say queer Jews of color are my people where I feel the safest and, and the most in community. A lot of pain and trauma has given me a worldview that allows me to see the nuances and the complexities and see people for who they are and their wholeness that hasn't necessarily been given to me. It's a humbling experience to live the life that I've lived. And at the same time, I very solidly recognize that I hold a lot of privilege. I am blessed to be who I am. I think people like me were, were godsend. And we're, we are made in the elemental human. I think in that is the teaching of this world is about nuance. This world is about being whole and allowing people to do that. Yes, you, you are perfect exactly as you are. Thank you so much for just brightening up this podcast with, with your humility and, you know, your willingness to share your story in a way that, you know, it's complicated, but it's something that you hold with pride is with it being part of the larger experience of queer folks around the world. So let's transition to something that you love dearly. I know you just mentioned your mom and your sister. Those are your people, but I know that your, your twins are also your people. And I'm curious how you and your wife are bringing your values for justice and equity uh, into the lives of your children. And if you could share with us any examples that could help perhaps other parents do the same. 
So my my twins are three, and we are very much in that age of their. I can see their like curiosity explode. My daughter is very very inquisitive, very very smart, and my son is also very smart and a lot of big heart. Something that my wife and I had all have always been in conversation about even before we had children was how are we going to incorporate two cultures, the Jewish culture and the Puerto Rican culture in our household for that it doesn't feel like one takes prevalence over the other. And also for them to know that they don't have to live two lives. They can be Puerto Rican Jews and that there are other Puerto Rican Jews out in the world. There are other Latino Jews out in the world and there are other Jews of color. I want my kids to be held by community, by family, and know that even though we are in Connecticut, that they have family in Puerto Rico and then Puerto Rico is their home. That they know that whenever they walk into a synagogue, they're part of that community. Another thing that like we're in the weeds of is having these conversations about race with them already. They're three. And I didn't I didn't talk about race until I was 24 right? Having those conversations now, so they understand that their identity is probably complex as they are in the process of developing it, and that all of this is really complex, and then there are people out there like them that have similar experiences, and then there is such a thing as racism, unfortunately, and that some people benefit from it, some people are oppressed by it, and that's not fair, right? It's in a very, like, simplistic words of because it's a three-year-old but having those conversations with them in hopes that they they can develop a framework that they move through life understanding that that they should be proud of who they are and all and of our family of being a like multicultural queer jewish family and that they also have a role in making sure everyone is liberated and that everyone reaches equality. Right on. Thank you so much, Dr. Bianca. We're sadly running out of time, but before we go, I'd love to give you the opportunity to share with the audience some words in Spanish. And perhaps if you're open to it, you could share with us what it means for you to be a Puerto Rican and a Puerto Rican Jew. Ser puertorriqueño es sentir un amor apasionado por no tan solo la, los 100 por 35 de la isla, las 100 millas por 35 millas de, de la isla, por ese pedazo de terreno en, en el Mar Caribe, pero es sentir amor por los 7 millones de puertorriqueños que estamos en el mundo. Es haber sufrido en 500 años de colonialismo, pero seguimos siendo una gente de, de calor, de cariño, de amor, de servicio y de, de originalidad, de creatividad. Y tenemos tanto que ofrecer. Y crecemos en comunidad con nuestros este, compatriotas en Latinoamérica. Somos latinoamericanos. Y ese, ese sentido colectivo de entender que tenemos esta historia en común, estos 500 años de colonialismo y antes de eso la, la belleza indígena de, de los taínos y es 
como dicen los americanos, hold two things at the same time. A, a, tenemos felicidad en una mano y amor y sufrimiento en el otro y vivimos así todos los días de nuestra vida. Aunque nos vamos, siempre llegamos a Puerto Rico en el corazón. Y como dice la canción de Juan Antonio Correcer, yo sería puertorriqueño aunque naciera en la luna. Thank you so much, Bianca. You have been such a pleasure to sit down with, and I really look forward to finding more ways in which to build community with you. Gracias. Thank you to you all. I'm always happy to, to be in community. Muchas gracias, Bianca. Your story is a reminder that no two Latin Jewish stories are alike, and therefore it is important that we continue to elevate as many Latin Jewish stories as possible. To all of our listeners, Thank you for your love and encouragement. We are thrilled to be back for a second season and we wouldn't have been able to do this without your support. New episodes will be released every Friday from October 1st through December 17th. For more information, please visit jupina.org. Until next time, ciao!